atmosphere, and uh, we'll be going live stream here in just a moment. <clears throat> like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at City Temple with Chelsea Community Church. You can be part of the whole thing on Zoom by dropping us an email, or you can just come and visit us here at Chelsea Community Church on Sunday mornings at 11. If you have your Bible, let's turn to two places. First of all, to John chapter 5, and then to John chapter 10. John chapter 5, and then... John chapter 10. Before we read, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much that we can gather together in this place. As we do, we remember uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are suffering and struggling in this time, uh, especially our brothers and sisters in, in Ukraine. And we continue to pray for peace in that nation, an end to the war, not only there, but all around the world. Lord, I pray now that you would open up your word to us, that not only would we re read it, but also we would respond to it in faith. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We pick up in John chapter 5. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews, the Jewish leaders, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, oh, the man who healed me, uh, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were perse persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. 
And then over to John chapter 10, we pick up with verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, there was an old shepherd in Scotland, and uh, it was a lovely day, a lovely day out in the Scottish hills, and, and uh, he had a lovely time with the sheep, and he went in, it was, it was starting to get evening, and so he thought, now it's time to bring in all the sheep. And so he had this trusty sheepdog, Angus, and Angus was, I mean, amazingly well-trained. So he said, Angus, go out and round up the sheep. And he gave his whistle. You know, every shepherd has his own whistle. And man, Angus was a sight to behold. I mean, because the sheep had wandered about. So Angus is going up and over the the hills and and through the valleys and everything like that. And before too long, uh, the shepherd sees this whole bunch of sheep, you know, just coming toward the sheepfold, coming in for the night. I mean, he hasn't had to do anything. And uh, and all the sheep come into the fold, and, and Angus even nudges the gate with his, with his nose, and it closes the gate, and he comes on up, up around, you know, and sits down before, uh, before the shepherd and says, oh, that's wonderful, Angus. You did, you did such a good job. You know, a- Angus, how many sheep were there? And Angus barked, 40. And he, the shepherd scratched his head and said, I thought I only had 37 sheep. Angus said, I was rounding them up. <laughs> oh, you know that I, I've done a survey. That is the most common sheep and shepherd joke on the internet. Uh, so uh, I thought, you know, it's like a little dad joke. You get it. You get it eventually. Or if you don't get it now, maybe you'll get it later. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what that happens. But you know what's really fascinating is what a powerful metaphor the idea of a shepherd is. It, historically, it's been, uh, it's been such a powerful, powerful metaphor uh, across almost every culture. And one of the oldest pieces of literature that we know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, 
there, one of the heroes named Inkedu, uh, he is actually, he's a wild man who is raised and civilized by a group of shepherds. Uh, you have many shepherds in all of the religions uh, around the world, Anubis uh, in the Egyptians, Dionysus, Hermes, Orpheus, Apollo, Pan, Paris. You know, all of these were depicted at one point in time as shepherds. And that is just a, a small part of the list. It's such a powerful metaphor. And with all these shepherds, there's always a promise of, you know, bringing the, the, the sheep to safety, being the door of safety for the sheep, being the door for provision and prosperity. Shepherds throughout history, and again, across cultures, are depicted as heroes who guide and care for the flock. And I think it's really quite extraordinary that you have such a powerful metaphor across cultures. And I would suggest that the reason why this metaphor of shepherd seems to transcend cultures is because God has portrayed himself as a shepherd from the very beginning. And I think in human consciousness, when we lost that relationship with God through our sin, We've never lost the idea of God as the shepherd. God is the one, I think, who gives the power behind these metaphors. And of course, the metaphor of shepherd is very powerful in the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, God portrays himself as the shepherd. David, in the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 23, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. God himself is the good shepherd. Humanity sought another shepherd and they left God. They rejected God, but God is still the shepherd calling to his people. And so it's quite striking in the passage that we read today, the claim that Jesus makes about himself. Now, frankly, there are a lot of opinions, as we've been saying, about who Jesus is. You go out on the streets, you know, and some people say he's a prophet. You know, some people say he's a great leader. Some people say, well, he didn't really die. You know, some, some people say, well, he was good, a good teacher, you know, all of that. But, you know, frankly, the opinion of most people is not really worth the paper that it's not printed on. You know, the opinion that really counts is what Jesus said. Because at the end of the day, if Jesus was wrong about himself, you can't say he was a good teacher. If Jesus was wrong about himself, you cannot say he was a prophet. If Jesus was wrong about himself, you cannot say he was a good man. And so Jesus' opinion makes all the difference. But as I've been saying as well, you know, I can say that I'm King Charles, but that doesn't make me King Charles. So Jesus not only gave his opinion about himself, but he demonstrated how he could substantiate what he said. He substantiated what he said through what John calls these signs. And today we see another thing that Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And in so doing, Jesus is identifying himself 
with God's claim to be the shepherd. Because when when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he was claiming to be the good shepherd. He didn't say, I am a good shepherd. I am one of many good shepherds. I am a, a good shepherd as sent by God. He said, I am the good shepherd. It's very clear. And it was a startling concept, a startling thing to say. And he defined what he meant by the good shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we don't think much about that right now. But think about this. If you're a shepherd and you have a bunch of sheep and you die, what happens to the sheep? Now, most shepherds wouldn't lay down their life for the sheep. Yeah, they would risk harm. They'd risk their lives. But Jesus is saying here, I am the good shepherd. And by definition, as the good shepherd, I am laying down my life for the sheep. He was also saying that all of God's sheep belong to me. I am the good shepherd. And in saying this, Jesus clearly contrasts himself with those that aren't the good shepherd. He compares himself to the hired hands. In other words, Jesus is saying here very clearly for those who had ears to hear, Jesus is saying, I'm not a prophet just sent by God as any other prophet is. I'm not some rabbi who's getting paid to do what I'm doing. I'm not some preacher that's going to get wealthy because of what I'm doing. I am here not as a hired hand. I am here as the shepherd. He's someone, he's not someone who just benefits from the sheep. He is the one who possesses the sheep, who owns the sheep. And so when Jesus says this, very clearly, he is identifying himself with God, who, as I said, is the good shepherd in the Old Testament. This is one of the primary metaphors that God uses about himself. And as he makes this claim, Jesus says some other startling things. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now this idea is Jesus is saying that he knows every sheep personally and intimately. He knows every one of his followers. He's not a shepherd who just herds all the sheep together and doesn't care if there are 37 or rounded up to 40. He is a shepherd who knows exactly the number of sheep he has, and he knows all of his sheep by name, and he knows all of their weaknesses and all their characteristics, And that's what he's saying. And he's saying, too, that if you're a sheep, you get to know Jesus. You have a relationship with the shepherd. And then he says that he knows this intimacy. The intimacy is so close, it's the same as his relationship with the Father. He is in the Father, the Father is in him. I mean, this is the level of relationship that Jesus claims his sheep have with him and that he has with his sheep. Jesus was never separated from the Father. Jesus was there 
throughout his life, walking with the Father. The Father was walking with him. And he's making a startling claim about every one of his sheep globally, the you know, three billion or so right now around the world that follow him. And he says that he is the one who uniquely lays down his life for us. There's no one else who dies on the cross for us. There's no one else who can lay down his life for us as Jesus lays down his life. And Jesus is pointing to the cross. He's indicating the personal sacrifice he makes and he's making for us. And at the same time as he does that, he is making a claim on our allegiance, a particular claim on our allegiance. I think a little bit about uh, when I was growing up and Karen and I started dating. Uh, Karen always had the fun mom, you know, uh, all, the, all the kids in high school loved to be around Karen's mom. Uh, she was always a lot of fun. Uh, my mom was more of the serious mom because uh, she had a prophetic gift that was rather scary. And Karen's mom, you know, said, oh, Rod, just call me mom. You know, she said that to everybody. Just call me mom uh, or call me mom Ballard if you want to. And so I did for a while until the day that my mother heard me do that. And without any anger, without any rancor or anything like that, my mom took me aside and she said, Rod, I'm the one who changed your nappies. I'm the one who fed you and clothed you and bathed you and cared for you. I'm the only one who's done that. I am the only one you can call mom. And I got the message. And Jesus is making the same claim here. Don't mistake it. He's saying, I am the only one you can call the shepherd because I am the one who is laying down my life for the sheep. And then goes Jesus. I mean, he's on a roll of offending people here for those who want to be offended. Because he goes on and he says, well, and guys, I have a lot of sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, I've got a lot of sheep around the world that aren't Jews. And I'm going to be bringing them in. At that point in time, you know, the Jews still thought they were the people. And there was nobody else. And Jesus says, no, I've got the whole fold. Everybody, Jew or Gentile, that becomes my follower, that becomes one of my sheep, belongs to me. And then he goes on and he says some more things. He says, you know, I, I have the authority to lay down my life, but I'm going to take it up again. So right there, he's predicting that he's going to die, but then he's going to rise. And that would be really strange. It's pointing to the resurrection. He said, I'm doing this willingly. I have the authority to do so. I'm not being compelled by my father to do it. I'm not being forced by my father to do it, although it is his will that I do it, and I do it gladly. But he says, I am the one who is laying down my life for the sheep willingly because the sheep all belong to me, and I'm following God's command to do it. And so he made this claim, and lest you think that people didn't get it or people didn't understand it in the same way I've just explained it, look at their reaction. A bunch of the people who heard this said, this guy has a demon. He's got a demon and he is crazy. It's the same way, the same way if I was walking around here saying with all earnestness, 
I really am King Charles. King Charles, you know, the real king is tall. King Charles isn't. So I really am King Charles. I really am King Charles. I mean, if I believed that, you wouldn't be living, listening to me right now. You'd be helping me find an institution somewhere where hopefully I could, you know, get some help. And that's what people were saying. You know, some of the people said, this guy is absolutely insane. And others said, hey, look at what he's saying. Listen to what he says and look at what he's done. Listen to what he says. Look at what he's done. I mean, this is not the work of an insane guy. But they recognized when Jesus makes his claims, you have an either-or choice. You can't say, well, it's mostly true, but not all true. Jesus is saying, you take it or leave it. You respond to the fullness of the claim, or you've not responded at all. You've rejected it. So what did Jesus do to prove that he was able to make this claim? What did he do to show, yes, I can say this, that I am the good shepherd? Well, for that, we go back to something that happened earlier in his ministry, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Now, that's, uh, it was a, a big pool, multitude of, uh, multitude of invalids, it says. You know, perhaps dozens, if not hundreds, of people who were blind, who were lame, who were crippled in some way. And the whole idea was that from time to time, an angel of the Lord would stir up the waters and that if you jumped into the water, uh, you'd be healed. And the first one in the water got healed. Everybody else is out of luck. And so everybody was uh, hanging around there, begging, trying to get money so they could be the first to get into the waters. Sorry about that. And so this guy was there, never got down to the front. Jesus comes in and notice here that there's maybe a hundred invalids here. And Jesus goes to one. You know, kind of like there are a hundred of sheep, but Jesus knows the one sheep that should be his. And he goes to that one man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He'd been struggling with this for 38 years. He saw the man and he knew, and the idea here is he knew prophetically, he knew in his spirit how long the guy had been there and he had compassion on him. And Jesus goes up to the man and asks him a question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Well, one thing you need to know about Jesus When Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs the information. When Jesus asks a question, he is intending to expose something in someone's heart. And in this case, he was intending to expose in this man's heart that maybe he didn't really want to get well. Maybe he didn't want to be healed. Maybe he was comfortable after 38 years of being an invalid hanging out there and living off the contributions from other people. Maybe he liked that, but the man didn't get it. 
and immediately he starts to whine and says, oh, yeah, but I just can't get into the water. I, you know, it's just poor old me, and I'm just really terrible. I'm just such a, I just have a miserable existence. It's so terrible. You know, Jesus is there. And so what does he do? He says, I don't know. Did he do it out of exasperation? You know, did he do it because he was tired of hearing the whining? He definitely did it out of compassion. But he looks at the guy and says, hey, get up. Take up your mat and walk. You're healed. And the man does. He notices that something happened, and he gets up, and he takes up his mat, and he starts walking. The only problem is your mat or your bed, that's something that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath day, and Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath. Now, it wasn't because the Bible said don't do it. The Bible just said, you know, uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it was the religious leaders that came up with all kinds of rules and regulations that they thought were good ideas to protect the holiness of the Sabbath. But Jesus, having kind of been part of the writing of those Ten Commandments, uh, he knew what it really meant. Uh, But it was an affront to these religious leaders. And so they see him, and it's extraordinary. You know what they do? They They say, what are you doing carrying your mat? And he says, well, the man who healed me told me to get my mat, take up my mat and walk. Notice how these guys, they don't even say, well, hallelujah, you've been healed. You know, they don't do anything like that. They say, well, who told you to carry this mat? You terrible person. And then he says, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, and so they're, they're all really frustrated. Oh, oh, I see what happened. <laughs> so they're all really, they're already really frustrated uh, in, this, in this whole thing. Uh, and they attack the man, and he goes away. And then later on, the guy doesn't know who Jesus is. You know, he didn't even bother to stop and ask the guy who just healed him his name. And so Jesus later on finds him in the temple, just like a shepherd. He finds him and he says, you know, you've been healed, so stop sinning. Stop doing the wrong thing. Because if you keep sinning, something worse could happen to you. And so what does the man do? He responds by tattling on Jesus to the authorities. First thing, he goes to the authorities, and he knows they're angry with him. And he says, oh, it was Jesus. Jesus is the one. You know, really quite extraordinary how Jesus has offered himself and done healing, even for somebody who doesn't really want to receive and acknowledge what was going on. And so the authorities come and criticize him, but he says, hey, my father's been working till now, and I am working. And they got really angry because he just made himself equal to God. In the end, this healing at the pool of Bethesda, it's so paralleled what Jesus was calling himself to be as the good shepherd, and it is a sign that confirms his ability to say, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And so in light of that, we need to know what Jesus requires of us regarding this claim to be the good shepherd. Because every time Jesus makes a claim, there is an expectation, there is a requirement, there is a response either implicitly or explicitly, 
that Jesus wants from people who acknowledge his claim and receive him. And this making the claim to be the good shepherd, Jesus is saying we must hear him, recognize him, and do what he says. We must hear him, recognize him as the Lord, as the shepherd, as the leader, and then obey him, do what he says. And part of that means allowing him to ask us the deep, penetrating, personal questions. Because a lot of us don't like that. We don't like to be questioned by God. If I had a lot of time, I could tell you a lot of stories. Uh, but I've learned, if God asks a question for me, it's not because I, he needs the information. It's because I need to discover something. We belong to Jesus. And if you respond to this, you have to acknowledge that you belong to Jesus. Another thing that Jesus requires is that we repent and sin no more. Sin is that which separates us from God. Sin is that which pollutes and contaminates the world in which we live. And Jesus is saying we need to sin no more and Jesus' interpretation of sin is the right one. Not our opinion about it. And so Jesus says, repent, sin no more. And the other thing that we need to do in response to this claim to be the good shepherd is that we must affirm Jesus' relationship with the Father as the Son. He's equal to the Father. You cannot respond to Jesus as the good shepherd without saying that Jesus and the Father are together. That just as Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You cannot respond to that. And a fourth way, a final way that we need to respond is we need to recognize the difference between Jesus' appointed leaders that we call shepherds and that the Bible calls shepherds. It makes that reference into, in terms of what elders do, shepherding, what pastors are and what they do. Literally, they're shepherds. We need to recognize the difference between these shepherds and hired hands. Because let me tell you, there are a lot of hired hands in the world. And there are a lot of hired hands that have very big churches. There are a lot of hired hands that have very big ministries. There are a lot of hired hands that drive very big automobiles. Oh, wait, I drive a big one. Uh, there are a lot of hired hands that uh, publish books and have YouTube channels. And we need to know the difference. Because if you follow a hired hand, thinking that you're following a shepherd, the end is you become dinner for some wolf. And it's true. So how do you know a hired hand? Hired hands are always in it for themselves. They're in it for what they get out of it. In some cases, it's money. Some cases, it's honor. I've talked to a lot of ministers who are ministers because people look up to them and honor them. Sometimes it's acceptance. You know, people say, oh, wow, you're such a, a wonderful person. Uh, you know, we we'll love you. Uh, sometimes it's power. A lot of people like the power of speaking to other people. 
You can go on and on. Sometimes it's a platform. Sometimes it's a brand. Sometimes it's a prestige. But if somebody's in it for what they get out of it, they're a hired hand. I guarantee you. Beware. Beware. Because the hired hands are the ones who will leave the sheep unprotected. The hired hands are the ones who will flee when the wolves come and things get difficult. The hired hands don't have a genuine concern for the sheep. They're just there as long as the sheep benefit them. And they'll leave when that stops. But shepherds are different. Shepherds, according to Jesus, own the sheep. And by own the sheep, and what Jesus said, he's not saying possess and own the sheep as Jesus owns the sheep. Shepherds own the sheep in the sense that they take responsibility for the well-being of the sheep. They take some ownership for what God has called them to do. Shepherds do not flee at the sign of trouble. They stand and they fight. Shepherds will not leave the sheep unprotected. They'll keep an eye out and they won't hesitate to deal with a wolf, even a wolf in sheep's clothing. Shepherds are those who are called to be shepherds by the Lord Almighty. And we need to know them, recognize them, affirm them, and follow them as they follow the good shepherd, the only good shepherd, who is Jesus. And the great blessing is that as we follow Jesus as our good shepherd, there is the promise of the blessings of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. The Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, he provides for my needs. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he restores, refreshes my soul, my mind, will, and emotion, that everything that's within me. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he is always with me, even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies so that I can feast even when others want to take me out. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he anoints my head with oil and my life overflows with his blessings. Because the Lord is my shepherd, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And because the Lord is my shepherd and your shepherd, we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But frankly, you face a choice. You face a choice right now to accept the claims of Jesus or to reject them. To accept Jesus as Jesus said he is or to reject him. There's no middle ground when it comes to the claims of Jesus. We need to respond in faith, trusting Jesus alone as the shepherd of our lives and believing with all our heart that no matter what, Jesus is good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you are our shepherd. Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd. There is no one who competes with you. There is no one who can, place, can replace you. 
You are the shepherd for all who would follow, for all who would be led into those green pastures, for all who would experience all the blessings that God the Father has for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for being the good shepherd. We thank you for your presence with us now here at this table. We love and praise you and honor you. Amen. Amen.